Thank you for tuning in to the You Own the Experience podcast. On this week's episode, we sit down with Joshua Pines, co-founder of Serenum, a Salesforce-based SaaS software that helps you manage your temporary workforce. The conversation revolves this week around building a successful tech stack, especially around Salesforce. Your top four KPIs that staff firms should be paying attention to, but might not be. Uh, and then also the importance of understanding the attention economy and why that's relevant, especially now more than ever. This week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Staffing Referrals. And in this week's segment of Ask Lauren, we sit down and talk about owners, founders, leaders, fear of digital transformation and how to get past that. Full transparency in this episode, I do drop one F-bomb. So there is a uh, explicit warning, I guess, on this guy. Uh, And please remember to rate, review, and share wherever you find your podcasts. And thanks so much for tuning in. All right, Josh, thank you so much for jumping on, man. How you doing? I am great. It's really, really good to be here. Very excited for our chat. How are you doing? I'm good. So you are the co-founder of Serenum, which is a UK-based kind of overall talent management platform for the staffing and recruiting world. So first and foremost, since you're UK-based, let's give a good two-minute elevator pitch on yourself, your background, and also Serenum. And also, by the way, guys, Josh Hills from the 305, so he is a Miami boy. Up until July of this year, I basically lived like five minutes from where he was raised. So Josh, go ahead, man. Show some 305 flavor on the folks. That's right. Grew up right in Miami. The house I grew up in is still in the family. And I was there the week lockdown started. So it's my last taste of American freedom, as it were. And as you can tell, even though I'm UK-based, I do have an American accent. So a little bit about myself. As you mentioned, I'm co-founder of Serenum. I've been involved with the business since just after our CEO and founder started it at the end of 2013. Prior to that, I was the head of MIA marketing for a pretty big publicly traded software company in the clinical research space. And I spent about 15 years in software product marketing strategy, as well as management consulting with some of the big names, Deloitte and PwC, and a little bit of time in the recruiting space with Corn Ferry. So the culmination of my career, really, Serenum represents in terms of intersecting how we help businesses do process better and how we help people stuff better and how technology can help that. So what does that mean? Well, at Serenum, we talk about helping our clients put the right shift worker in the right place at the right time and pay that person the right amount. In the staffing industry, that means we can schedule them, build and manage the rosters based on that, manage compliance throughout, capture time, interpret that time, drive it all the way to gross pay, pro forma invoicing. So if you think of what some people might call the middle office between the ATS CRM and the general ledger pay slip provider, we fill that gap in between. As I mentioned earlier, we were founded at the end of 2013. We're headquartered here in London. But we are a global business. We're across six continents. Our platform is used to manage about 400,000 workers across the globe. As we like to say, from the southern tip of Africa and Cape Town all the way up to the northern parts of Scotland and from Hong Kong all the way over to California, workers use our platform to get work. And our employers we work with do it much more efficiently. They're saving money, they're reducing risk, they're increasing revenue, and they're improving margins by using Serenum to do all that sort of stuff. Awesome. I love it. Cape Town is definitely one of my favorite places, as well as French Hook, which oh, if you know, you know, Fran- the wine is good. Oh, my God. Between <laughs> French Hook and Plettenberg Bay, it was very hard to get back on the plane at the end of our trip to South Africa a couple of years ago. The whole world is photoshopped there. You can't even believe it. I took my wife there on our honeymoon and that was my second trip and it got harder for me to leave, but it was like super hard for her to leave too. So Cape Town, South Africa, we love you. Beautiful. Yeah. Shout out to South Africa for sure. We'll be there soon, as soon as we can travel. In the pre-show, we kind of focused on a couple topics, but 
Maybe a good question, Josh, for listeners is why you chose to build Serenum on Salesforce. If you have some like high level, 10,000 foot, like, hey, why did we choose to build this on-demand platform on top of Salesforce? So I'm going to treat this like one of those air shows you go to because it's going to go from 30,000 feet to 5,000 feet and back up to 30,000 feet or maybe the other way around. Our product was, our platform is in effect spun out of a temporary staffing agency. So our CEO and founder, Benjamin Rubin, based here in London, owned a mid-sized staffing agency focused on events, security, and transportation industries. In effect, placing platform workers on train stations, security guards, ticket takers, etc. In the late part of the last decade, well, already the one before, the aughts, he identified that he needed a better tool, both technology and process, to keep track of who was working for him, for his team. It was all on notepads and whiteboards. There was no way. And actually, they had a very distressing situation where he and his wife had gone on a delayed honeymoon to India. They got off the plane, received a phone call from one of the ops managers that one of their employees working on the platform had been hit by the train. Now, Thankfully, he was fine eventually, but they realized they had no way of knowing whom to contact. They didn't have an in-case-emergency contact. They didn't know where he lived. None of that information was captured in a central location. Now, okay, that's standard, straightforward HR-type employee record stuff. And so he went about trying to find what's the best tool for that. Now, he happened to have a roommate from university who was a math major, as you say, in America, studied math in, in university, whom he trusted for computer stuff. And he said, Salesforce does great stuff. You should look into Salesforce. He identified there were some tools there to help and realized that the metaphor that Salesforce uses of accounts and contacts was very similar to the way we think of employment. An account is a client and a contact is a worker. And that metaphor could be, and the data models supporting it, could be replicated in a way that helps to manage even the basic information. But where it went from there, as they look to grow their business and become more dynamic in the way that they put their workers out, because they were growing from 100 workers to a couple hundred workers, and they started adopting technology and processes to help that. And this was at the sort of vanguard of cloud-based scheduling and workforce management tools, off-the-shelf stuff. You might know some of the names, shift planning, when I work. There are a bunch of them. Some of them are still around that he used to help sort of put together the pieces of his workforce and his rosters. Combined with a Salesforce-based ATS, it was pretty smooth, but it couldn't really grow because they weren't connected in any way, shape, or form. So you recruit the workers in, you find out the information, you onboard their skills and certifications. What do you do with that information? Well, it's still going on a notepad or a whiteboard. Simultaneous to that, they got the opportunity to pitch for the 2012 Olympic Games. And at that point, realized that would provide the opportunity to grow the business five, six, tenfold in just six months. They reoriented their operations and put more emphasis on where technology could help there. And that's where they started developing as a team, a tool what would eventually, you might call it proto-serenum, what would become the tool that we have now built to manage these kind of shift workers. It was a success. They won the bid. They delivered over 99% shift coverage. And within a year, Benjamin had split the business, separated the technology business from the staffing business, which by that time had grown almost 10x. And we set about building that, productizing and building into a company through 2014. So the major components there to start from Salesforce were that sort of simple metaphor and supporting data model of account to worker. But more broadly, you've got ability to report and audit on anything and everything that happens virtually in real time. You've got the ability to focus on what your core 
values are that you do your core operations, your core strengths, which is certainly not maintaining a cloud infrastructure, having a team of cloud architects and so on and so forth, trusting that Salesforce, which is the world leader on this, can do that. And also looking at the Salesforce ecosystem as a potential market not just into which to sell, but also to cooperate with other partners, other software vendors who've built on Salesforce. And we think this is really representing, and we were a little bit perhaps ahead of the curve, but the opportunity, particularly in the staffing space, to move to more of a platform mentality as you think about your technology stack. And again, that doesn't mean necessarily putting everything on a single platform, but when you make your technology decisions and build your technology stack, appreciating that being on a platform, even if it's two or three platforms, but that is a single source of data, consistent data model, and access across that environment that's consistent really goes a long way and helps our clients become much more scalable. So core things, the data model is clean, the cloud architecture is incredibly scalable and incredibly safe. And the other thing, by the way, and I didn't even mention to you the last call we had, but you know, when you're a small startup, regardless of where you are, but in London and you're trying to sell around the globe and you're also trying to sell on pretty sensitive information, right? This is employee information. It's touching payroll. When you're doing that, you're able to walk in and say, we've got the world's leading platform for security, for identity management. We're able to add functionality at a moment's notice. And from our perspective, as innovators, And as real experts and leaders in the intersection of workforce management and the staffing industry, we hire and train for that, means we can focus on that. When we build a product out, we don't have to worry about 30, 40, 50% of the code because it's taken care of with Salesforce. We can focus on what is crucial for the workforce management challenges that our staffing clients are facing. And that, to me, as a co-founder, that's crucial. That's vital. And that's probably the biggest benefit of building on Salesforce. I love it. That was a lot. So go back and listen to that twice. Thank you. That was really great. If you're not familiar with Salesforce, we're going to go to platform next. I know we talked about engagement first, but in pre-call, but we'll go to platform next since you brought it up. What you hear is number one, which I thought was really cool is it's almost like, you know, like when they talk about build versus buy a lot of times with technology, like when you get to build on a platform, whether it's Salesforce or Bullhorn, a lot of that stuff, you're just buying it. And then you can just build to what you said, what is going to dramatically impact your business. So you don't need to worry about security. You don't need to worry about reporting, scalability. All you need to do is say, hey, what is causing pain? Like, what can we improve in your business? Mm. And then you don't need to worry about the backbone. The house is already laid, right? Like the infrastructure is already laid. You just get to move forward, which is tremendously valuable. So it's kind of like that hybrid model. Salesforce, you know, having a good platform base provides that infrastructure. And now the hybrid part of it is you getting to build on top of it and solve what you need to on top of it. Just before you leave that, I would add to that. One of the things that's really a mantra in the Salesforce world, which is configure, don't code. That's really key there because when you're able to build on top, it's not even really building. It's configuring for your, you know, a lot of companies say, well, we've got a secret sauce because we do X, Y, Z. Great. Build your configuration to map to that. Most of their secret sauce is the relationships, let's be honest. And if you all say relationships, it's not secret. It's either relationships or ketchup and mayonnaise mix. That's pretty much 80% of secret sauces. Don't be hating on Chick-fil-A over there. Anyway, one of the things you mentioned, one of the two topics we wanted to cover was a platform mentality and candidate engagement. So since you brought up the platform of Salesforce, I obviously led you there. It's a great answer. Why would that be so important for a staffing and recruiting agency today? How is that going to well, how they do business? Let's think of a couple of things. So one, back to the core competency argument. What is your business? Your business is helping your clients get work done. You understand the needs and you understand the workers. Does that mean you understand maintaining your own servers? 
You might have some expertise there, but probably not. Does that mean even understanding the difference between SaaS and platform is even another layer up? Because look, 10, 15 years ago, and I was in 1999, I worked for a one of the early SaaS startups in Miami and moving to SaaS was a big step, right? But software is a service where you still have to maintain all the unique integrations, implementations, configurations, data models, requires its own expertise, IT team, and so on and so forth. And it's always a moving target. When you take a platform mentality, you take a lot of that uncertainty out of the equation. You also get a sense of a kind of, let's say, stamp of approval or confidence. Here's a scenario. You get approached by a software vendor that's SaaS. You know, they tell you that all their stuff is on AWS, and I'm not taking anything away from AWS. Great product, great platform. They tell you that they built it on Java. Nothing wrong with Java. Great way to build. Hold All that quick, stuff. Just so everyone's aware, AWS is Amazon Web Services, which you should oh, know, but you yeah. may not. The other big competitor in that space is Microsoft Azure, which is another cloud-based hosting. So those are the two big competitors. If you're not aware of those, those are kind of the two that were competing for the Department of Defense in the U.S.'s Jedi program. Yeah. And was it Jedi? It was something. Something Star Wars. And Azure one, but whatever. Sorry, just so go back to what you're saying. But I want to make sure some things we need to define acronyms. Anyway, go ahead, Josh. Sorry. Thanks for keeping me honest. But the point is that these players can come to you and put together great products, and they build some great products. Believe me, my last company, which was sold for I think six billion dollars, I wish I could say my last company, the last company I worked at was its own tool, wasn't a platform, was built on AWS or runs off AWS. But you get no confirmation that they've met any sort of standards or minima from a security perspective, from an identity management perspective. Now those cloud platforms are building out more and more. But the thing is, when you go with being built on a Salesforce, or even some of the others being built on Oracle, for example, there are minimum standards, and oftentimes they're quite high for security review, for identity management. And if you've already got even a single product anywhere in your tech stack that's already on the platform, you've got that level of confidence, and you've got the simplicity that comes from knowing, okay, this is a user experience I'm familiar with, this is a data model I'm familiar with, this is a data architecture I'm familiar with, and of course, the supporting cloud infrastructure. Now, look, obviously, you and I have talked about this, we're huge fans of Salesforce, but I think more so than any single platform, there is the appreciation that moving to a kind of platform mentality, again, even if it's a sort of multi-platform, then you know that you've got these sort of universes that have that all self-contained that make it easier to get data in and out. Because what happens is if you build a stack that's built on three or four or five different SaaS models, each one is going to have its own requirements, its own implementation and integration challenges, and you're going to be bogged down. That's why we know that so many, I think the last article I read said 70% of enterprise software implementations fail on the first go-around. And a lot is because you can't get that integration to work the way you think. Now, it's still useful and you're still getting a lot of benefit from using it. And back to your point about build versus buy, you know, you can, with the platform mentality, you can very quickly evolve your mentality. And I think you and I spoke about this on the last call, that a lot of American enterprise staffing agencies, temp and long-term placement, by the way, is not unique. They have a kind of bias towards build. And it, it's like 15, it's like 15 well, years behind the curve. Let me unpack a little bit too, Josh. Yeah, please. What Josh was essentially saying is that you decide to implement new software, right? You make that decision. The CEOs, the whole team is like, okay, we're going to go through this project. And 75% fail the first try. Is that it, Josh? Is that that number you just said? I've seen a couple of different things. I know business analytics fails at about 80% for business <laughs> intelligence. That so was hard to run reports. 
Wait, let's not leave that. That's Wait. a great example. <laughs> when you're on a platform mentality, part of the story, you don't have to build it. You can build on top of it. You can build dashboards and benchmarks, but it's built in. It's baked in in a way that you don't have to worry about that failing. So, sorry. No, no, you're right. To unpack that last little bit, guys, Salesforce has a lot better reporting than any other tool. It's built into the product. It's part of the product. So you don't need to buy and try and figure out how to code IBM Cognos or Microsoft Power BI. Like You don't need to have to figure out how to run a report there. You just do a Boolean search in Salesforce and you can create all kinds of really beautiful things. And I think it's easier now too, right? With Einstein and Lightning interfaces. So it's super easy to get yeah. good data and good reporting out of Salesforce. And that's where Josh is saying a lot of businesses fail to implement software. But then kind of going back to this idea where like, if you implement five or six different SaaS products, what he's saying is that data is living now in six different systems. So break it down even further. It's like you just need to have one, it doesn't have to be simple, but simple, right? Air quotes, source of truth. That's the ATS, the CRM. And then all data points need to flow into those. And I've seen enterprise stacks, Josh, that have a middle layer that basically connive data so that it can get into the middle and then get out to where it needs to go in a uniform format. But that takes some skill and you have to build Mm -hmm. that, which goes back to like the build versus buy. So really the core of it, and you can correct me at the end of this, is like you need to pick a platform and then build around it and into it so that the data modeling, the data gets into one simple place and you don't need to build auxiliary tools to just figure out what the hell's going on with your business. I think that last point is excellent. And I would add that one of the things is even if you don't pick a single platform for your entire business, thinking with a platform as part of your decision-making process will allow you to do so much more. And I'll give one example. We have a number of clients where we're the only product that sits on a platform. But what that means is that it's easier to get data in and out from our product to and from our product to the other products because we haven't had to think about import, export, web services, REST, APIs, all those acronyms which you can translate or put on the thing. Salesforce is taking care of that. Salesforce ensures that anything that's done with our product is easier to get in and out. So where the rubber hits the road is typically with our sort of smaller mid-market or mid-market payroll integration challenges. And the reason why it's not a challenge is getting the data out. We produce gross pay and pro forma invoicing information that can be exported in one click to a CSV that can be configured very simply and uploaded. So everybody loves an elegant integration. Sometimes you don't need an integration. Sometimes you just need a very easy export-import process. And being on a platform means that part of the equation as a developer, as a software developer, is easier. And as a user, is not even a thought process. Because if you think about other workforce management tools, think back to the Benjamin challenge that I talked about before. He bought an off-the-shelf tool. It has no easy way of getting that information out because it's designed to live on a screen. How do you get it into payroll? He would literally have to copy and paste into a spreadsheet and you introduce human error. Then there's double data entry, time, all those sorts of things. And there were still payroll inquiries, as we call them here, where, hey, payday comes and it doesn't match what I expect. Well, sometimes it doesn't match because you haven't communicated and engaged those workers. Sometimes it's because it's the human error that you introduce. So anywhere you can reduce that is obviously beneficial. And again, the platform mentality is a big step towards reducing those sorts of things. Okay, since I want to wrap up this engagement piece, I know we wanted to talk about a key KPI that you can get from having that platform, right? Having that good Mm -hmm. reporting that Salesforce can. So do you want to give a quick overview of that and then we'll transition that into engagement because I think it kind of has a natural transition from that. Yeah, there's kind of three KPIs we really are thinking about, especially given where we are with the pandemic and with some of the uncertainty as we go into 2021. 
And one is really focused on the churn of your business. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more of that on the engagement side. One is really focused on the utilization rate. So of the people you've onboarded in the temp environment, how many of them are actually working and how much of your workforce is made up of people sitting on the bench? And you'd be surprised how many of our clients, they actually don't even know how many people they've onboarded, let alone how many are working. And similar to the churn point, they might not know how much it costs to recruit and onboard a new worker. So what I always like to talk about at conferences, but also with prospects and clients is, these are things you need to be keeping track of. If you don't have a way to keep track of them, figure out that way. You know, we're happy to help you. Sometimes our technology does it, but mostly what our technology does and being built on a platform makes it easier because it's, as we mentioned earlier, you're tracking, you're able to track in real time and audit and report on and dashboard all this information as it happens. Just try to figure it out right? Get that information. We talk about a sort of prep list, like a you know, Y2K preppers list. You need to be able to know how many people you've onboarded. How much does it cost to onboard them? How many people are working? How many people are sitting on the bench? How many people are under thresholds for the amount of hours you want to work? You want them to be working? So maybe you've set a bar and said, you know, everybody should be targeted at 25 hours, 30 hours, etc. And then the last KPI that we like to think about, we like to talk about is the ratio of recruiters to temps out in the field. Because that's where we can really drive profitability or protect it. If you can ensure that ratio stays at a level or can grow, that's a big part of running a successful temp agency during this day and age. Got it. Love it. And again, the reason why we bring those up is because if you have good reporting baked into the system and you have all the data in one system, now you can figure those things out. Basically, what Josh is telling you is things that if you don't know about your business, you should know, right? So... The Notorious BIG is yeah, pretty I, good I, and juicy. If you don't know, now you know. And I'm now you know. Now. So KPI 2, Josh, we're talking about churn and how much it costs to get someone through the process and to the work site to go to work, right? And so that has a very natural transition to engagement. On our first call, I asked you a question. You were pretty fired up and you're going to answer it the same way. But I said to you, how do you get someone to stay engaged with a, a brand or an on-demand booking platform, right? Because guys, let's all be honest, Like having a mobile strategy being on demand is going to be vital. I'm going to say this right now. If you are a small, brute force, very manual staffing firm, you are going to be in jeopardy, just like malls are right now for COVID and Amazon, right? Mostly Amazon, but COVID accelerated it with your business model. You're going to have to figure out how to use technology because guess what? Everyone's just going to go to the app or the website and they're going to book their shifts, right? Especially if you are light industrial, high volume, and they don't need you anymore, right? They can just go to Uber Works. So I asked you how do you get people on the app and to stay on an app or to stay on a platform? The answer was great. But I mean, you could just focus on the real answer, which is they want meaningful and profitable work. So kind of walk us through the engagement side of a mobile show, yeah. basically. It boils down to two big things. Give them work and make it easy. And the reference to Uber is spot on. Not that you're competing for drivers, although Uber Works makes it so that you're competing for more, but you're competing for a kind of way of life. Those of us who sit behind a desk, we still live on our phone, right? It still sits in our pocket, dictates a lot of what we do. Now, during, now, uh, during the lockdown, we work on Zoom, but yes, you're right. That's what you say, during lockdown, it's Zoom. But think about Uber Eats, Deliveroo, the on-demand world, and not in the way that IBM defined it in 2002, which was a precursor to this. But there is almost a Pavlovian relationship between the way people are using their phone to get and do things and the way workers are expecting to do that. 
Now, you're absolutely right that the Ubers of the world, and by the way, we keep saying Uber because it's easy, but whatever on-demand work platform or worker marketplace you can think of, Fiverr for lightweight desk work, for example, graphic design, it's very big, is a good example. They are staffing agencies that started with technology. That's all it is. They just started with technology. Now they're figuring out, by the way, and they are, that they need some people on their side as well. And their margins are shrinking. No, they started out with really good margins and their margins are shrinking. But that means there's an opportunity because you've already got, you as in staffing agencies, you've already got the relationships with the workers and the clients. They have to build those. They have to raise a ton of money to market in an environment that they are not ready to handle. Now, yes, they've got a big lead on technology, but the biggest thing you could do is to keep your workers engaged because that means it's a network model, right? That means your clients will stick around with you. If you've got thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of workers engaged, ready to work, they know that there's going to be a buzz in their pocket that says, Acme Staffing has a shift for me and they're going to accept it within seconds. Your clients are going to come back to you. I'll give a quick example. We have a client here in the UK, very large brand they were losing market share to traditional staffing competitors and also on-demand marketplaces because they were really slow. Their time to fill, which is a really important KPI, if you take a notch below those other KPIs I just talked about, time to fill is a really good one to look at. Their time to fill on the kinds of jobs that can be lost on demand was 45 minutes. You know, in that time, those clients are calling other agencies because there's no loyalty there if you're taking 45 minutes to respond on something you need that morning or overnight, right? So they call you at the end of the day. This is an education and care business. Imagine the use cases, substitute teacher needed the next morning. You need an eighth grade math teacher at 8 a.m. They're going to send you an email overnight, call you first thing in the morning and say, hey, I need a substitute teacher, 8 a.m. show up here. If you take 45 minutes to call back and say, okay, I got Sally or Jim to fill in, they're going to call someone else. Well, they just called us this week that they've set a new record of four seconds. So that's four seconds from hearing hanging up from the client. Actually, they don't even hang up now. They stay on to when they've got a confirmed worker. They let us know every time they say they were at seven seconds for a while. I don't know how they got to four seconds. I used to say seven seconds was going to be the best. There's never going to be that. But obviously, they have, again, have love again. They are workers. They sit there and they know I'm going to get a buzz that's going to give me a shift that's going to give me good work easy. And that engages them. That keeps them on the app. That keeps them aware of what you're sending them. And we've got similar case studies across, but that was the best. I literally just got off a call about two hours ago learning about the four-second new record they've got. And they use this in their own marketing, by the way. They sent us a picture from a trade show that they were at where they built a game. Everybody knows you go to trade show, you play these games at the booths. They built a game to see if you could beat there at the time seven seconds. And they built a booth, a trade show booth that said, our tech can fill your requirements in seven seconds. Can you beat that? I mean, what do you say? I love that. That is great marketing. Well done. And that's so nice that your platform is like behind that. That's really cool. It's a great case study. Really powerful. I'm smiling from ear to ear listening to that. Let me unpack a couple things. Number one, Pavlovian is Pavlov's dogs, right? You ring the bell, give them a treat. They come back when the bell rings. Hopefully everyone knows that, but I'm not assuming anything. It's another dog reference today. We're really digging in on the dog stuff. Second, what he's talking about with the Pavlovian response is the attention economy, which is what the digital era has become. It's an attention economy. What is the piece of real estate in this real world, in this reality, that has our attention the most, aka our phone, if you didn't know? So the seven second thing is because we're addicted to our phone. So put your phone away and live in the real world. Like if you're at a concert, please stop recording it and just watch the damn concert. No one wants to watch. Unless you're waiting for a shift at that conference. Yeah, that's fine. Like if you're trying to make some money, try and hustle a little bit, but Ah, stop that. Stop living your life with your goddamn camera. Sorry, personal issue. 
And then last, I actually drove for Lyft when it came to Miami. And I stopped driving for Lyft, one, because I drove like the second weekend it was live and they weren't mm-hmm. taking any money from me. So like everything I made was mine. So I made 300 bucks in like two hours. And that's a great return for someone. Once the wages started to decrease, I was like, ask you that. I'm not working for this. But it was cool to experience it, number one. I say I've worked in the gig economy. Two, yep. great experience. Like the whole thing was easy. I just sat in my car, my phone popped. Like it was an excuse to keep the car super clean, have some water in it for myself, for them, gum, whatever. It was mm-hmm. just a really cool experience. Everything you just said, right? Like the attention economy, your number one focus of attention is someone's phone. Engage them through that. Four seconds. If you beat that, your cell phones are in 5G world and we're moving a lot faster, right? Like there's an implant in your brain. We don't want that. But anyway, Josh, this was awesome. Where can people find you and any like final thoughts? So first of all, you can find out more about Serenum at serenum.com. That's siren U-M. By the way, that's the ancient Greek word for a siren. And you might remember the story of Odysseus. He was distracted by the sirens as he went through on his way. You've been Um, too long. You're referencing our way too highbrow. Too too highfalutin, yeah. I was a history teacher, so I understand who Odysseus is and a siren is because I'm a dork. Okay, so even if you think about it in the modern context, if you hear a siren coming, you know to get out of the way. It's an advanced warning signal. And that's what we do. It's an advanced warning signal for your workforce. Whether you don't have enough people or you've got a health and safety problem or an overtime problem and so on and so forth. The one book recommendation, which is totally right out, and I can't believe I didn't bring this up to you the last time we spoke, although I did give you that other recommendation, the give and take one. But this one, really based on your experience with Lyft, I think is really a good one. The name of the book is Gigged. It's by a woman named Sarah Kessler. There's a subtitle, The Gig Economy, The End of the Job and the Future of Work. And there's a little bit of almost a twinkle in your eye or a wink when those are said. It talks about the pitfalls and pratfalls of depending only on the gig economy for helping to drive this kind of work. And I mentioned earlier that a lot of these gig economy companies or worker marketplaces are starting to add more of the human touch because they realize they've missed out. And this book outlines how through the course of, say, 2010 to 2015, which was really the heyday, those scars and scabs were really starting to show up great read for you and for all your listeners. We give it to all of our new hires because in our mind, we're helping staffing agencies in effect push back on those gig economy companies because they get the human side. They need the technology side to be able to do it more efficiently, but they get the human side. Thank you for Um, saying that. I I meant to say that. You're talking about this and that was one of the takeaways I wanted to recap. This was the other part of the attention economy is the brand. Like You have to have a value prop that is greater than just being in business nowadays. And I think staffing companies have that better story. So thank you for reminding yeah. me because I would have been a huge miss and I would have been very upset after reviewing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Huge fans of that. You know, at the end of the day, it's about the people. It's about putting them to work in a way that makes them happy. And yes, to engage them, you got to give them jobs and make it easy. The way you do that is by being people first. And doing it authentically, like not saying it and then not living it. We got to get out of this world where we say all these platitudes, but we don't live them. By the way, that'll make your business so much better. If you can figure out how to not say a platitude, but actually live it and own it in your brand, that is tremendously valuable, guys. So anyway, just getting off our soapbox, we'll dust it off, we'll put it away, we'll step back down. Josh, what's your email address? And number one, I'll say thank you about 10 times because this has been great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Or how do you want people to contact you? Email or LinkedIn or whatever. Yeah, so serenum.com. My email is josh.pines. That's J-O-S-H dot P-I-N-E-S, like the trees at serenum.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. There's nobody else working at Serenum named Joshua Pines. And anybody makes it over to London, please be in touch. Once humans are again allowed to interact, love meeting people in the industry and connecting and building that network because that's really the core of everything that happens for us. That's good. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. After this short break, stay tuned for our next segment of Ask Lauren. 
This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest-growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever, and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit staffingreferrals.com slash show. That's staffingreferrals.com slash show. What's up, Lauren? How you doing? I am super fantastic. Ooh, super fantastic. I tried to turn that into super califragilistic expiala fantastic earlier and it really didn't work out. So I just said it again. You got it this time. I tried to make it work out. I'm trying to make it a thing, but it's not. Anyway, Lauren, what do we have for everybody today? Okay. What I am working with my customers on is fear. We are talking all things fear today, the fear of digitization, the fear of automation, and there is nothing to be afraid of. This is a human industry and all of this automation and all of these tools are there to enhance the way that we service our customers and our candidates. It's not meant to replace. So the conversations that I am having are the smaller to mid-sized firms who know that they need to, you know, COVID has sort of accelerated the requirement to get digital. And the customers that I'm working with, it's really more about having the conversation of how do we honor the things that make you special in your brand? How do we honor those things? But how do we get you a little better, a little faster, and a little bit stronger by the utilization of technology? So there's nothing to fear as long as you are very clear of what it is you want to achieve. Ooh, no fear if you're clear. I like that. And as long as you know who you are as an organization, you have every opportunity to enhance your service offerings through digitization and automation. Okay, so a couple things here. Number one, if you're acting out of fear, then you are doing exactly what the media wants you to do. And sorry to bring the media into this, but fear is a terrible motivator. It is. Follow Yoda's advice. Don't go to the dark side. If you're making decisions through anger or fear, you need to stop. Realistically speaking, sales organizations are also people-based because people buy things, whether it's B2B or B2C. And so if all of these B2C businesses, which are thriving right now online, you should see e-commerce blowing up. If you're not paying attention to what e-commerce are doing and like marketing school and all these other podcasts and like how they're growing and you know, like there's probably a lot of like Instagram life where it's like reporting it better than it actually is. But those are all people businesses that are selling directly to people. So if they're using automation, why are you not? And like, why are you not paying attention to it? Because we need to be looking at the sales world and figuring out what they're doing to personalize through their technology tools. Yeah. And using those. So like, it blows my mind. It's super frustrating, but we can only hold your hand. We'll sing you a song from the Beatles about 
holding hands and carrying you forward. <laughs> yes. Yes, I will hold your hand. We will help you through the process. You've got to digitize because you're going to get left behind and I don't want them to be left behind. Every organization brings their own individual value and you just have to know what that is so that we can put exclamation points around what it is that you do. You know, it's kind of your trademark. Allow us to put some exclamation points, you know, and go advertise that out there. What you do is so special through digitization and automation. Automation is really to help you capture and make the most of your audience. And you know what? You have the ultimate control with automation. You get to choose the audience. You get to choose the frequency. You get to choose the message. So you have control and the fear of loss of control, which is primarily the conversations that I have, is, I don't want to say it's an irrational fear, but it's an irrational fear. (laughs) Most fears are irrational. Yeah. False emotions appearing real. That's what my therapist told me because I have a fear of bridges, just so everybody knows. Oh, I know. I'll hold your hand and help you across the bridge or we can get the goats to help you. False emotions appearing real. Don't make business decisions based on those. Well, just try not to make life decisions based on those. Yeah, that too. That too. Everything becomes a habit, right? So if you're used to making decisions based on fear, if you're speaking out of fear, then you're going to make business decisions out of fear, which is healthy, right? Because literally our middle brain's sole purpose is to provide us with fear to survive as a species. And we could go through that whole lecture if you want. But your top brain or your human brain is meant to be like, F fear, we're going anyway. Right. And that's what having a good plan is about. And that's part of the reason you bring in a third party consultant, right? Is an objective party to come in and help you sort of simplify what might feel overly complicated and add process to it. So, you know, again, you are in control of automation. You are in control of anything that you take digital. And anybody who tells you differently is selling you beachfront property in Arizona. Ooh, I like it. I think that makes sense. I think Having a plan, especially if things you're afraid of, is the best way to take a step forward. So I love it. Lauren, thank you so much. We will come up with a song in the style of the Beatles about holding your hand and walking you in automation. I don't know when we'll do that, but we'll do it. We also end up talking for a long period of time during these recordings and after and before. So stay tuned for the new single by Lauren Jones and Rob Mann called I'll Hold Your Hand for Automation. Lauren, thanks again. 